Hi, and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Melanie Dancer, I am very excited to have you on this podcast because you are one very interesting woman. Well, thank you. It's been a long time coming. It has. Well, I mean, we ha- I, I have never met you in person, but we've spoken over the phone and I absolutely love what it is that you do. So why don't you tell all the listeners now what it is that you do and, and a little bit of why you're doing it. So I started a business early this year after many years of thinking about it, and it's called Out of the Blue. It is a suite of professional services for police officers to look at what they're currently doing in their career and whether they would like to stay in their career or leave their career. And of course, there's loads of reasons why police might leave their career. But the reason I started it was because I myself was a former police officer. I specialised in sex crime and child abuse, worked at the Pedophile Task Force. I was one of those specialised police negotiators who used to talk people down off buildings and out of houses and and that kind of thing. Oh, my goodness, the stress of doing something like that. Like, I really admire you and obviously we need people like you doing it, but, oh, my God, you know, yeah. And I loved my career. I have the utmost respect and, and still have a lot of friends in policing and I worked under some fantastic people, both women and men, Um, but it got to a point and a particular time in my life where the belief system that I had around what was keeping me in policing wasn't suiting me anymore. I started to be able to have opportunities outside of policing, like being invited to be on boards. I had started a scholarship study on changing some legislation in South Australia through a, a government scholarship that so I So you won. were maybe you were what they call an intrapreneur. Have yes. you heard of that term? <laughs> so you were exercising your entrepreneurial muscles within the police force. I was and I am a career networker. I came to appreciate very early on and I would work in I never got held back in policing. I always was able to progress in the areas that I wanted to. Yeah. But I also f- always found myself and found myself attracted to the social science of policing and people and found myself in some really interesting positions so that I was able to get a really good depth of breadth of what was happening externally to what was South, South Australia police, but also how police interacted with uh, the other side. So uh, life in general and how that interfaced and my particular interest in justice and victimology and how that impacted people through very long drawn out processes and how the judicial system actually interfaced with society, I really took quite seriously. So I had this very executive opinion internally around how the justice system and policing works with people. And of course, you know, recently you only have to look at how much um, publicity (laughs) (laughs) and police police are, um, they can't do it, they can't do it right, they can't do it wrong. You know, it's it's um, they're damned if they do, they're damned if they don't. And that sits with police and they often get to a point where they don't know what to do next or whether to stay, what's confusing them, where, where their moral compass is being pushed. And so that's where I saw a gap because 
I moved on from policing and then went on to have a very successful executive career in a number of industries. Oh, okay. So you haven't just come from being a police officer straight into this. You've done something in between. Oh, Oh, yes. So hold on a minute and I'm going to get you to chronologically take me through because um, not so much your career as in a resume, but I am fascinated. And I'd say uh, loads of people, I don't want to say everyone is, but we've all watched those crime TV shows. We've all seen the stresses and strains of police work. And we all know what it's like to be on the other side, but we don't know what it's like inside. And I can only begin to imagine what it would be like if you wanted to leave. I mean, my father was in the British Army for really, they put him through um, medical school. So that was really why he did it. He became an obstetrician. So that's 12 years. And I think he did 14 years with them. And then there's that whole thing. I mean, and you get that in a lot of institutionalised things where people go, well, I don't know, even know whether I have the capacity to run my own business. I don't know whether I can work out there in the real world. So I really would love to have that conversation with you. But um, I don't know where to start with this one, because I was going to say what was the light bulb moment. But I reckon that we should probably go back further and then come up to the light bulb moment. Do you want to lead the way? Tell me about your entrepreneurial journey and also your life in the police force and some stories around it. <laughs> so, so, there you um, go. So I, I guess through, I had con- con- completed CIB school, so detective training school. And, part right, of, and what sort of age are you at that, that stage? Is this young? Oh, I would have been about, oh gosh, talking. I mean, late 30, 20s, 30s. 30s. Okay, cool. Yep. yep. Um, yeah. Tw- Gosh, I would have thought you were only about 30 now. No. Oh, goodness me. <laughs> if only you knew. No. <laughs> if anyone was watching this Zoom call, they'd be going, oh, my goodness, she's not talking 30s in the past. No, All I right, actually, so, yes. Yeah, so, to put it in context, I'm 48. And right. I joined at 22. And I... Um, and how old were you when you left? Uh, it's been 12 years. Wow. Right. Okay, so take us back first. So why did you even want to go into the police force? What Joining? I wanted to help. I wanted to right. help. Very, very plain and simple. Family I, history of it. Did you have any relatives who'd been police officers? My grandfather was a Commonwealth police officer who'd come from the okay. UK in the British Army and, yep. and worked up at Maralinga and right. on the, yeah, to protect the NASA airbase and that kind of thing. But other than that, we didn't really talk about it. I don't come from a traditional um, policing family, but I do come from a public service family. So, oh, okay. Yeah, and I was highly interested in, in joining because I saw it as a really exciting job and, and, and I still, to this day, highly recommend anyone who's interested in, in, in searching for that and I certainly can help with, with those questions as well. <laughs> but yeah. um, so I joined the police and, and went on to patrols, as you do, which is the general uniformed roles. And then I got opportunities to start doing a few specific investigations and found myself being particularly good at eliciting interview and interviewing people and listening and doing cognitive interviewing techniques. So I found that I had a bit of a, a pathway into investigation and rather than right. general So policing. hang on, sorry, just, just for those of people that might be as slow as I am what do you mean when you say cognitive inter- I mean interviewing would be fabulous I would have thought but it, were you able to do that whole I know he's lying because he's blinking his left eye and looking up to the right or that kind of thing or, or what was it 
A bit of that. I mean, a lot, a lot of it is body language, but it's around how you construct a conversation with somebody, allow them to talk for 80% of the time, then go back and get them to go over information. And that means you're not missing as much. So you let, allow them to go through the information, then go back in time and then actually go forward in time. And you'll often find out a lot of information through through that process. Oh, so fascinating. Yeah, so I ended up in the sexual assault unit investigating rape. And right. here's a funny story. My call sign was actually sexual assault 69. Um, oh, my God. Make of that was that you, intentional? Make of that what you will. Um, <laughs> Is this that, do you think, Did you know, and I, and I don't want to rave about it, but was it that male culture, do you think, um, having a joke or was it really just coincidence that you were number 69 of the whatever? It was the next call sign. You would have the thought list. they'd have skipped that number actually when you think about it, but anyway. It caused a lot of giggles over the radio. I bet it did. <laughs> <laughs> so there was an opportunity in the early 2000s when the Anglican Church Inquiry had started to where a task force was set up and I was approached by the now Commissioner of Police, Grant Stevens, to to join that task force and and that set me on a path of um, specialised policing in sex crime and child abuse. So whilst I had conducted other investigations through other through the other department I was working yeah. with, this was a specific and very highly political area. Um, so I was able to undertake my detective training while I was there and I also became attracted to becoming a police negotiator, which of course is very interesting. You called out at all hours of the night to literally talk people down off buildings and and talk people out of houses holding babies and machetes and that sort of thing. So it was so that really happens. I guess you, I see it in crime scene CSI and all those kind of you know SUV whatever. And you think, oh, that's just really extreme and in America. And I know that we see a bit in the media here, but is it really happening all the time and we're just not aware of it? Nearly every day. Police negotiators wow. are called out. You don't, you don't hear about it. It's not something no. that you, you want to publicise, but it could no. be a, a suicide intervention. It could be an exploitation kidnapping. It could be a siege. Um, and they can last anywhere, so anywhere from, you know, 30 minutes up to three days. Um, and, oh, my goodness. Hmm. So you had a lot of, I mean, and I, I don't want to keep interrupting your story, but talk about mental health strain. The, 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 you can really see just from what you're saying how stressful it is to be within the force. But keep going because, I mean, you hear these stories about people and I, I want you to paint that picture and then we'll go into what you're doing now and why. The hypervigilance that I had around my work was pretty consistent. At one point, well, at lots of times during the year I had three phones by my bed. I had a, a CIB on-call phone, I had a negotiator phone, I had my phone. So you're in a constant state of heightened um, stress. What that does yep. physically to you is it it it, it builds and and it, it doesn't allow your cortisol levels to to reduce. So your stress is always heightened. Now people obviously this is a personal physiological phenomenon and some people cope with heightened stress differently to others. But but for me, I began to lose who I was as an individual and started to ident probably identify myself way too much to my job. And the stories that I was hearing, especially through sexual assault 
stories <clears throat> undertaking. I was I was interviewing men in their 40s, 50s and 60s around historical sex crime that had happened in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Oh, right. Cold cases like that, that long ago. Yes. And so it was, you were trusted, you were in a very, um, uh, I, I considered it a very um, privileged position to be guiding people through this process. You had very intimate details from people, not only for, for historical crime, but also for current crimes that were going on. So um, it, it yeah, raises your and heightens your stress levels um, and can start to mess with your mind so much so that I started to disassociate from my family, started to do some risk-taking behaviours, poor choices, disassociated from family uh, and started to identify myself through my job and and it was around this time when I had taken on another task around completing a, a scholarship around a change in legislation that I just kept adding to my bucket, adding, 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 because I wanted to achieve so much. I wanted to... Oh, Melanie, I'm just, I can feel it now. I mean, just, just even as you describe it and to almost disassociate, I mean, it really, just as you're saying that, actually, it really does make sense of the fact that there are so many damaged people out there. When you think of a childhood, say, going through those kind of stresses, yeah. um, no wonder you, you end up being damaged in a way that you can't control anyway. But, yeah, so keep going on. So so really started getting to you, really tough. Absolutely. And I remember um, having a couple of episodes where I had dealt with some very young children and literally couldn't get out of bed to go back to work and I didn't even want to look in my in my locker and look at my notebook and things like that because it would bring too much back too many memories. Now you might say surely there's help, surely there's police psychologist. There there is, there's a welfare yeah. section that there are those systems in place, but to get people to those places to admit the vulnerability I guess is the biggest thing because you're trying to hold it all together yes and you know that the moment that you say you know I I'm really not coping with this they're going to start throwing the book at you and going oh well you shouldn't be a policeman and I, if I wasn't going to do this job what was I going to do oh Mel yeah I, I mean I, I I there are lots and lots and lots of people that 100% identify with their jobs but that really brings it home yeah so what did you do I had to take some time out and I basically had a breakdown. I Were had you a break forced to? Sorry? Did you offer? Did you say, I need the space? Or did you end up with your boss saying to you, you really need to slow down? I rang my friend one morning. I literally couldn't move, couldn't get out of bed. And I said, you need to get someone around here because I'm going to do something to myself. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, totally understandable, but God almighty. And right. So they sent police welfare around and I effectively went on um, stress leave, for, but I only wanted stress leave for four days. I wanted to get back to work. Four days? Because you went, I'll be able to sort myself out like that. Well, I, I kind of designed my own return to work plan. I identified three places in Safehold that I would like to go and be productive and switch off. And I right. went to my preferred place and I worked there for a year and then I actually designed my own return to work plan back to, to CIB. And Hang on a minute. So you were able to go back to work four days later? Yes, I went Are back. Are you saying that you did into a different role but you didn't go and have some counselling at that stage? I was booked in to receive counselling and cognitive therapy yeah. so I started that process, yes. 
Right. And it was but wow, they let you back because they needed you and they had, oh, yeah, right, okay. So, so you did another a, year. It was a non-operational position. It was a strategic position. So I took a very strategic position in an area which looked <laughs> after state-based problem-solving methodologies yeah. for, the, for crime. And because but I you haven't to... addressed any of the issues that you were dealing with before. You're just ploughing on. Ploughing on. And yep. while I was there, I was in therapy and had gone to a cognitive therapist. And that's when this particular therapist had said there's almost like a bit of a, there's a filing cabinet in your brain that you cannot open again. You need to, you cannot go back to your substantive position, which was in the sex crime branch. That was like being, you know, that was the end. That was when I realised I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm going to do. And if I, and that was like being sent down the rabbit warren again because I thought, I'll just get fixed and I'll go back. But I, I, I was permanently damaged. There was no, it was vicarious traumatization and yep. post traumatic stress. Whew. Yeah. Right. So, okay. So, what do you do when all of that happens? What do you do? <laughs> what do you do? I actually, well, luckily, I had, my sanity was I had joined a board. I joined the YWCA of Adelaide and had become the chair and was doing work on women's policy and women's safety. I was an, right. attra- I was an attractive board position, uh, board member because of my, you know, criminal investigation background. Yeah. So I started to really branch out into my leadership skills on a board and I was lucky enough to be selected to go to a World AIDS conference in Africa and while I was there, I was with some of the other delegates from Adelaide and I said to them, do you think, do you think I'd be useful working in the non-for-profit sector? And they said, are you kidding me? So <laughs> We would do anything to have someone like you, I imagine. And, and, and what astounded them was that I couldn't see. I look back now and know that they are looking at me going, are you kidding me? Can't you see what you've done? Can't you see how useful your skills would be? So... Um, I sought a career coach and it took me nine months and I did that deliberately, slowly, because I wanted to make sure it was the right decision and I looked at my strengths, I looked at how to read job descriptions, I looked at transferable skilling, I looked at yeah. how to present myself and de-governmentise my language. <laughs> yes, because there is a way that policemen speak that is just doesn't belong anywhere else except in a policeman's mouth, really. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that happens. And that's, that's yeah. like any culture, I guess. It's just that in policing, it's very compounded. And I just transitioned out and I, I call it, I bought my sanity. So I transitioned out into the community services sector and worked for Mission Australia, actually, in business development, looking at all of their contracts and interpreting their outcomes. And because I'm very outcomes-based yeah. and understood um, what, it, what government speak was and interpreted their contracts and that kind of thing and then moved through the community service sector into employment services. I was on the cutting edge of a worked up in Queensland on some NDIS preparation for a large organisation called Endeavour who have Endeavour Foundation that have a lot of offices around Australia and was their complaints right. and, and management unit, managed senior advisor um, and started to work on some really cutting edge sector reform work in Australia and started to build up my experience as a leader, as an employer, as a recruiter, as a manager, as a strategist, reporting through to boards and reporting through to executive management until I and got some great roles in this time, including at the AFL, 
Um, wow. I was the first. Sorry, I don't know why I go, wow, I don't like football, but I am impressed. <laughs> well, I, I was the first female manager in football in South Australia and managed a, a whole suite of, you know, programs uh, for South Australian football, including female development in football. Oh, um, good on you. I love everything you do. <laughs> so I, I kind of had a smattering of everything and um, and then worked my way up into into executive management ship and and all through this time, I was thinking to myself, I've got this business concept around helping police do what I did if they wanted to and or talk about what they're going through, talk about it privately and not have it attached to the department as a service. Right. So because so you had identified what we were just talking earlier, which is that they can't show the weakness unless they've made that final decision of I want out. Um, in which case it's fine however anyone looks at you because you are ready. But if you're not sure, there's no one to talk to without it kind of escalating. Yeah. So you you saw this need to have something outside that people could, as opposed to a counsellor, somebody who understood the police, is that? And it was about saying, look, every other profession encourages professional development. They encourage leadership. They encourage um looking outside the box, talking to a mentor, talking to yeah. a peer. Uh, there was nothing nothing like that in policing. Um, there are internal programs. There is some good research going on now, which I've been approached about. Um, but police are pretty poor at thinking outside the box to say, I'm going to go and seek that for myself, for me, not for my, not for the police, but no. for me personally as, a, as an individual. Isn't that interesting that the police hadn't thought of that? Because you would actually think that that would give them much more well-rounded individuals in the end as well, that they have that, you know, experience outside of. And also might have kept, might keep people in the police longer if they had that sort of external outlet. So, so what happened then? What was the big light bulb moment that, that made you think about um, Out of the Blue, which is, by the way, just such a good name, <laughs> such a good name? It, Abby, the name Out of the Blue has sat with me for about three years, and I'll tell you a funny story. I was in Sydney Airport over the last Christmas holidays. We were coming back to Adelaide, and I always gravitate towards the bookshop in the in the airport and I started thumbing through books on leadership and decision making and all this stuff right and there yep. was this other book there it was a pink book it was glittery and it was about <laughs> it was about social uh it was about uh, marketing and social okay. media and I was really attracted to this book but no I took the really uh, bored boring one and it was actually ra- a book called radical candor how to get what you want by saying what you mean anyway right. I was reading through this book on the plane and I realised I knew everything in this book. Not from, not, I'm not trying to blow my own trumpet. What I mean is I keep buying these same books and I'm avoiding the thing that's attracting me, which is how would I build my business? And I, I got on that plane, Jules, and I started writing all the steps, all the things that I just, I just brainstormed everything. And thought, I have to do this now. I have to do it. I can't keep avoiding it. I realised that the only thing limiting me was I was limiting me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's funny because the first time that I ever spoke to you, which I don't know whether it was last, it must have been if you set it up last year, it was was in the summer, I remember that, and it was before Christmas. But we had a chat and weirdly I had been speaking. There's a woman called Carolyn Trewithick, I think, or or Pethick, you probably know her, who I had met ages ago and she told me about her terrible time in the police force and, and and I had met her at a business event 
probably three years ago now. And I just remember how out of place she looked. She just didn't, she was, she hadn't kind of got her head out of the police force. She would just, she just desperately wanted to write this book and then get the book out there. And I just remember thinking at the time how hard it would be to try and get into things that are just so out of your radar when you're in an institution, basically, because that's what it is. It's, it's, you know, it's not something where they would encourage people to be entrepreneurial, which is probably an oversight anyway, but. You're, um, well, you hold the party line because you're a serious public servant. You, you hold an office of constable, which, which means that you're wedded. You are wedded to the department in a lot of ways. And, a lot of police don't have Facebook. They have to have a different name. All that stuff is privacy. We're not on the electoral roll. I, I will never, ever be called for jury duty because um, I've been a... I think you've done your public service, so I don't mind that you won't be called for jury duty. <laughs> um, but, but the thing is, um, yeah, it was... I mean, for example, I wanted to do... Uh, comedy and I want to do a comedian's course and I had to wait the first thing I enrolled in when I left the police was I enrolled in a comedy course and I ended up becoming quarter finalist in raw, raw comedy in South Australia and oh how fabulous I had some great stories I would say you have some brilliant stories so there are things that it doesn't surprise me when you say this particular woman looked out of place because I was unsure of what I could say. I was unsure of how to present myself. I was unsure of being having backlash um, yeah. and, and having haters kind of say, well, are you anti-police? I'm not. I'm very proud and I've had a great and very fulfilling career. But I also know that there's another side to it, which is police need to be able to talk to somebody about what is going on for them professionally. And probably before it spills over, like start doing it on the day they start the job kind of thing. Because I would imagine, and I'm only guessing, but I mean, you're a young woman, you've joined the police force. At some stage, you're going to see your first murder and you're not going to have seen anything like it in your whole life. Or you're going to hear about some awful sex crime and go, this is so perverted and, and crazy it's got to affect you from day one you can do all the theory that you like and of course there's work experience when you go through any police academy but until you are on your own with with a partner you're you've been sworn in you're on the road your first night could be a shooting and nothing can prepare you for what you see and you'd never know what you're going to get every single day at work 80 percent of the time the work is um, might be quite mundane, but that 20% is a massive spike in adrenaline and you never know when it's coming. Um, yeah, right. You might go to work at 7am and expect to be home at, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and then something happens and you're stuck on a cordon until that midnight. Families, there's research now with um, the road home with, the, uh, with uh, Adelaide University, I think it is, with researching the impact of first responders on families and there is a massive ongoing impact to families and so primary re responders and their families on how the work impacts their life. Because they can't plan for anything. I mean, my, you know, and, and not that I want to make it about me, but my dad as an obstetrician, we weren't able to plan anything because he'd say, babies don't come on a nine to five schedule, you know. And, and same thing for you, you know, it's going to, and, and also I guess you're always on call or, or do you have certain shifts where you've got to be on call for, you know, if anything does happen. I was a glutton for punishment. I was not only on call <laughs> for one job, I was on call for two jobs um, right. at the same time. I mean, 
I um I really filled my bucket and it was to my detriment but there wasn't anybody looking out for me I had to look out for myself and I don't blame anybody for that other no. than it exists right and yep. this is what I'm saying it it exists and there's a gap and so whilst there's always the offer of police welfare there is a um a tarnish attached to to that so yeah mm. So you so you got off that plane with basically a business plan, I bet. <laughs> Was I had it? a list of things I wanted to do and some broad concepts, yeah. and then I set about trying to build it and and slowly, um, so that I could have some control over my messaging. And I uh, went through a, like an entrepreneur's course around how to message. I'm still, and then I went. You know, I, I really, it's really been a big journey for me on how to move through fear around right. being very literal, you know, wanting what my message actually is and what my niche actually is and, and holding firm to that and trusting my path. And I've had some great, um, you know, uh, insight into myself through this process around how to pitch wording in social media, how to design a website. And uh, Yes, it's... It- it's all fraught with danger in, in a lot of ways, because you, especially when you don't know. And you, and the fact, I mean, I didn't know that you weren't allowed to have social media accounts, but of course it makes sense. So you haven't had 10 years of being on Facebook every day for two hours, you know. It, yeah, it's fascinating. So so how do you get started? So how did you do it? And then how, what do you, and, and tell me in the, at the same time how you then have taken that on to apply to what it is that you're offering now. So I, I started the, the building blocks and worked out what my niche client would be, what type of person they were, where they lived, where they breathed. How and who they, are they? Who So they're, they're, they're young police officers, are they? Are any, they your client? Any police officer who yep. is looking to um, – so so this is, what I, this is how I defined it. There's three main reasons why police might move on or right. question moving on. One is that they have an opportunity that comes their way through other stakeholders. So somebody might say to them, Offers oh, you'd them be great doing such and such. And they don't know right. what to do with that information. The other reason is the environment might not be working for them anymore. There might have been an incident or incidents that are happening. It could be a cultural issue or a cultural clash where your moral compass starts to get a little bit pushed and yep. you, it, isn't, doesn't, it starts to feel not right anymore it, or it could be conflict. And the third reason is some people just decide, oh, time for me to move on, I want to do something different because the turnover rate is so much higher now. Is it? Yeah, it used to be an average of, of um, seven years for, uh, sorry, yeah, seven years for women and 12 for men. And now I'm not sure what the stats are, but they're, they're a lot less now. There's a lot less. Right. Um, Which could also be, I mean, I know when I was working, I was over in London working with the British Army and they had a problem that they couldn't retain. So they, they'd get people to sign up for two years to put them through school or whatever, for, and then they just couldn't get them to stay. So, and, and I wonder whether that's also generational, that there are now people who, you know, and entrepreneurialness, entrepreneur, entrepreneurship is, is something that's really encouraged now and wasn't really talked about you know, when, when I was younger, certainly. It's so much more transiency. That's not a bad thing. In fact, it's, it's probably healthy for a culture to do that as long as the recruitment principles under, underlying it can keep up with the attrition. Yeah, and maybe less damaged people coming out the other end as well. Uh, well, that's, a main, that's, 
that's one of my main concerns is if you are transitioning, how do you identify what your strengths are so that you don't just repeat the same thing? Because a lot of police just Google um, jobs for police and investigator comes up and inspector oh, comes gosh, up. Oh, really? And or security? <laughs> yeah, so security guard and things like that. So, but there's the, the, the world is your oyster. I have proven Yes, absolutely. That. Go and start an ice cream shop or, you know, anything. Yeah. So in your case, you decided that you would start out of the blue and start helping people transition out of the police force if they wanted to. What does that look like? So the professional services look like making a time to meet with me to talk about the, your current state. Often people go straight to the strategy, but actually we need to understand what state you're in and what the yeah. story you have at the moment and then move through to the strategy. And then we will go through, depending on your state, what you what you need to do. So it might be that we run some career assessments for you through through um, an algorithm that I have a license to run, which gives you some basic principles of your strengths and um, your derailers, and and you can actually map that against a number of different careers. It might be that you need some tools development around your resume, and I've seen some doozies that come from police, and they're incredibly wordy and mean nothing to the outside. So I'm able to cut that right down. And, and yeah, say, and then they'd be said, well, where's your website? And they'd be like, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't have one of them. <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, the, the, the hazards of how to write a cover letter that will appeal, a resume that will appeal, because I myself have recruited up to senior management executive level. So I know what an HR what manager like. looks like, what looks for, and I know what I would look for in a staff member. Um and how to map and transfer, most importantly, map the transferable skills to a resume yep. to speak to a job and how to effectively so, job search. So just tell me, because you probably know this, what, sort, what are the stats like for the number of police that come out and maybe start their own business compared to the number of, that would get sort of employment that has, gives them a career path as opposed to, and, and no disrespect to... Um, um, security guards or inspectors, but as opposed to something where maybe you're heading straight back into a different type of institution? There's a higher proportion of people that, that tend to gravitate towards a similar or like type of institution. Private investigations, um, look, they're great careers, things like work cover, work health safety, uh, Safe Work Queensland, right. Safe Work SA, Safe Work Victoria. And council kind of working with councils, I would have thought, and public servants again still. Yes. What about entrepreneurship? Are there many people like you who come out and there decide few, to set up something completely different? There are a few coppers who actually, because of the nature of shift work, are able to start their own lawn mowing rounds and things like that. Oh, okay. And, look, and police are intrinsically quite competitive with each other and quite and, and actually quite creative because they're problem-solving all the time. So yeah. there are some people who have this, you know, completely entrepreneurial um, side hustle um, but do it often do it back-to-back. Back. At the same time, right. So they get even less sleep. <laughs> and even less and even more stress, but just, I guess, transferred across something else. So, um, so tell me about, yeah, so tell me a little bit more about your business and what it is that you're doing. And then I'm going to start talking to you about juggling work and life and things like that. 
So I will do things like looking at what their state is and look at what tools they might need and any, any assessments that will that will help guide the conversations with them. And they're often very fun to do and people are very surprised at the results that they get and have something to walk away with. There's, you know, a hard copy report of them and you can use the, the wording in, in cover letters and things like that. Um, and look at helping identify where they would like to search and mapping a pathway for that to to point them towards applications. So I've helped people move into the direction back into study, uh, move into um, commission work, so aged care work and, and assessment and complaints work. Um, and, and there's a yeah there's a range of range of different you know scenarios. It all depends on the individual. So it's about being tailored. But to some, it's about talking through what they're currently experiencing and looking at have you exhausted all options. Um, right. Because so within, within the police force, have you thought about going sideways instead of out? That's right. Or saying, these are the options. How do you want to have a conversation with your boss about this? So having that, I mean, policing's moving towards having um, the, the normal leadership approach. Yes, it's paramilitary, but, but modern recruitment and modern um, leadership um, principles still apply and there's a great move towards employing and promoting good people managers so it is about saying have you spoken to your sergeant your senior sergeant your inspector about this this is how you might start a conversation with them and coach them in that way right yeah very challenging but I think it's a service that's so needed and and are you, are you getting full support from the police behind this like do they love what you're doing so I've, I've approached police legacy and I'm starting conversations with the employee assistance services through through police and have right. some interest through some research as well so I haven't had specific conversations with the police services yet um, that will come and and I haven't pushed it because I haven't really needed to yet and there's also that risk of I, I also promote myself as completely non-government and autonomous yep. and maintaining that sense of independence is also a principle I've been trying to maintain and observe and and see what how I where I go with that. Yeah, that's actually a really valid point because you do need to be separate. So, sort of like I understand everything that goes on in there, but I'm not part of it anymore so yes. that they feel comfortable talking to you. So um, in the space of your business now, how long have you had it for? Six months, About eight six months, months, a year? Yep. Uh, I don't know. I'll ask you the question, but yeah, and you'll be able to tell me whether anything's happened. Have you had any big failures or successes, anything go wrong that you've learned from yet? Or not yet? Absolutely. But one of the main, uh, you know, things that didn't go as well as I would have thought was that I started to go down the rabbit hole of, I started noticing a lot of my, trying to justify a lot of my uh, messaging and posting became a bit negative. I was talking right. in the deficit. I was talking with a deficit model instead of a strength model. And I, and I wondered why I was feeling so um, uncomfortable. It was because I wasn't remaining and staying on a path. Um, I was I was trying to diversify a little bit and thinking, well, if I go down this way, I might get a couple of those clients or those clients. And I went back to my original yep. niche and track and I have to trust that and keep going forward. And that kind of pulled me up to go, I'm going to rewrite those posts. I'm going to rewrite my messaging and I'm going to focus the language in a, in a, in a strength-based way because otherwise it will look, well, deficit models, don't attract 
won't attract the people I want. So No, and look, one of the things that you've said is absolutely spot on and it's something that I talk about a lot with people when they, particularly when I'm doing PR with them, because I'll say, who's your market? And they'll go, women. And I go, oh, my God, how can you possibly market to women? There are so many different kinds. And it takes... It, it's really hard to niche down because a lot of people go, but what about all those people I'm now that, that won't come to me? I'm losing all these customers. But you don't think that actually you're going to become specialised at something. And the more niche it is, the more you will become the only person people can go to. You're probably one of the only, if not the only, ex-police officer that has gone into this space and is helping people now move out. So you are now the person people will go to. So that's just great general advice for anyone that might be listening, um, that niching down, you know, if you can say I only deal with 14-year-old curly-haired redheads, then you are able specifically to talk to those people in a way that will really resonate. So um, how do you juggle work and life these days? Have you, are you, because when it becomes a passion, and I know that it is for you, it's really hard to put it down and go, it's evening, I'm going to spend the time with the kids or with my partner or whatever. Or are you, uh, I dabble day and night and I'm just constantly on? Or do you give yourself time to switch off? I have a tendency to dabble day and night. So right. I am aware of my tendency because everyone has their personal traits and I have a monkey mind. So I want to do 50 million things, Joyce. Yep, um, yep. yep. But I can't do 50 million things. But I do practice hot yoga. So I have my time out in yoga and then yep. I'm trying to then bring those practices into daily um, everyday tasks so that when I feel my monkey mind going I can just I concentrate on one thing because I will yes, have 10 is... lists going and I can be terribly undisciplined but that's what makes me amazingly creative so I have to be aware of that and yes. and, and focus so and that, but do you give yourself the weekends off and that sort of thing oh Great. yes this weekend my husband and I are going away down to the southern Bales mine region so it'll be I'm well, working gorgeous. towards being able to switch stuff off and I don't I don't schedule any posts on the weekend either. I do a Monday to Friday thing. Um that's my my thing around Happy Friday and welcome back to the week, you know, that kind of thing. So people yeah, know nice. that I switch off. Yeah, I think that that's really important and I love it that you're going away this weekend because for anyone who's listening, I'm in one of the ten suburbs that's just been locked down for another four weeks in Victoria. I'm so sorry. I ain't going anywhere. I'm going to have to undo all the things that I was planning on doing. Now, is there a quirky fact that most people don't know about you that you would like to share with us? Well, probably the quirky fact was what I mentioned earlier, which was I was I became quarter finalist for Raw Comedy in South Australia, which <laughs> I often do one of those, um, you know, the three truths and a lie scenario if I'm speaking to a group and uh, they right. never pick it, never. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's a great fact. Okay, so I'm just going to wind it up now. I absolutely have loved speaking to you. It's so great to get an insight as well into the police that we hear about all the time, particularly now through the pandemic, and, and, and kind of understand that they are humans and that, you know, not that, not that I would think otherwise, but just that there are all those stresses and strains outside of everything that we're looking at um, that we need to take into account. But... Moving on to the fun stuff, I don't know whether you play with your phone or what you do, but I'm very keen to know, are there a couple of apps on the phone that you've used for business that you've found to be quite useful? 
And if you don't play with your phone, that's fine. But I have to ask the question because I'm obsessed. Yeah. So the two apps that I find the most useful are my Google Calendar and, yes. and my bank app, my ComBank app. Because right. I so don't... I'm going to. Re- okay. So now I'm going to remove those as your options because everybody says that. Do you have any business apps that you use? Meditate. Look at your oh. face. If anybody, just for anyone who's watching, she's just gone into a meltdown like, oh, my God, because I forgot to say, which I normally say to people, what useful apps outside of banking, email and all the obvious ones? Um, I mean, like I play with Candy Crush and I cannot stop myself and, and words with friends, but there are really useful business apps out there that people use. Like one I often talk about is called Otter. I don't know if you've heard of it. I've heard but of it. So Otter is free and it gives you 10 hours of free transcriptions a month. And all you have to do is just put it on your phone, turn it on, and it'll turn the conversation so it records it as audio, but also turns it into text that you can send to yourself and edit. No. And you get 10 hours a month for free. Um, you're doing that one as soon as we get off the phone. <laughs> I can't help myself with apps. I just absolutely love them. The other one that I love is Jotnot. And JotNot turns your phone into a scanner so that if somebody sends you a document you need to sign, it'll actually put it into black and white, turn it into a PDF, and you can do multiple pages and send it off. I'm doing that one too. JotNot and Otter. JotNot, J-O-T. But have you got any that you use that you've discovered? Well, Canva, I'm getting better at doing as an app. Canva is a godsend, isn't it? It's amazing. And my fun one, because I'm... Um, as you picked up, quite quirky, is I do a lot of memes. So, oh, yeah. So I'll, I'll, do a, I'll pick something up and then make it a meme. So I've got like this meme generator. And another fun one is my talking pet. So Oh, I love my talking pet. Go on, explain what it is for anyone that doesn't know. So my talking pet is if you've got a, like it helps having a face on shot of a cat or a dog or a horse or a giraffe or whatever, you upload the photo, you can move uh, an icon around near to where the mouth and the eyes are and then record your voice and change the voice tone and speed and then it will up, it'll sync your voice to the pet photo and uh, then you can upload your little video of your pet talking about, you know, whatever you want. I think that's brilliant. And I'll just really just, this will probably turn your stomach, but who knows. Um, my really good friend is Bev Killick. I don't know if you know her. She's a stand-up comedian and she is very un-PC. Yep. And we all went out for drinks one day and came back to my place and she takes her boobs out anywhere that you are. She is, so she, when I met her, she had a show called, I think it was called Busting Out. And it was like puppetry of the penis, but with boobs. I love it. So these two women would lean over and do the Batman logo and all this kind of thing. Anyway, so she literally will take her boobs out anywhere. I watched her do a stand-up where she took her bra off, put a wine bottle under her boob and poured someone a glass of wine. No hands. (laughs) And this day she used the pet app on her boob. (laughs) And she literally kind of squashed in her nipple so it looked like a mouth. And then did, it was so funny, she put it up on Facebook and she got a call from her daughter like, I don't know, maybe 30 seconds later going, get that off now. Oh, my God, Mum. Oh, kids are terrible, aren't they? They, spoil they are, but that app is just so cute with, with animal figures. It's just gorgeous. But I just had to say that. I don't know whether that was appropriate, but then I do say inappropriate things sometimes. <laughs> so, Melanie, I have absolutely loved, loved, loved our interview. Thank you so much for sharing all that with me. It is a brilliant service, and I'm, I'm sure that you will actually probably save lives with this, but certainly save people's mental health. So, 
Um, I really appreciate you sharing it. And I cannot wait to see what you do over the next while, because I have a feeling you're going to crack this one and give you another five years and you might be onto something else with one of your other new shiny ideas. Well, I aim to give this a red hot crack and I'm in, I'm very passionate about it and enjoying it a lot. And thank you so much for your time and, and the opportunity. No, that's great. I love it that you're going to make a difference. So thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this She's the Boss chat episode. It was great to have you here. If you want to stay in touch, you might also like some of the other things that we've got going on with She's the Boss. Firstly, I've got the She's the Boss show, which is on Ticker TV. Now, you can watch that either on tickertv.com.au or you can download the Ticker app from any of the app stores. So Apple and Android, and they've got an app that is for your phone, for your iPad or tablet, and for the smart TV. Or you could join us for our free Zoom lunches for female founders that we hold online. The best way to do any of these things really is go to she'stheboss.com.au and on there you can register for the lunches and I've also got links to the website. So either way, I hope you've enjoyed it. I'm really enjoying digging down and getting down to the nitty gritty with these women and I hope you'll join me for the next episode. 